to a resource from Jambrew Anglican Church. Loving Father, what a wonderful joy it is that you would speak to us. We don't have to guess what you're thinking because you speak. And we pray that we would listen and that we'd love your word and that we would obey you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder if 2020 has brought less talk about self-improvement. For so long, we've focused on ways to make our good life better. So to try and achieve a better home and garden and a body and mind and soul and career and holiday and family and sex life and pretty much anything else. And when you think about it, that's exactly what you do when you're rich, don't you? Because when you've got clean water and fresh food and universal health care and rubbish collection and sewage systems and law and order and the best climate in the world, when you've got all those things, you focus on whitening our teeth or decluttering our homes or leveraging our share portfolio or getting more stamps in our passport. Remember what they are? Or winning a sporting competition. Or buying that next thing from the store that we know that will make us feel complete. But even though we live in one of, if not quite possibly the greatest countries in the world, I think 2020 has meant that we've talked a little bit less about self-improvement. And that's because the Lord has given the world something to make us stop and think about what matters most. The COVID-19 pandemic has been really hard and painful, especially for countries where the death toll continues to soar. I heard a statistic this week in the midst of all of the coverage of the USA elections that said that in California, one in five people knows someone who died from COVID-19. One in five people knows someone. Oh, I know someone who died. It's extraordinary, isn't it? And that statistic is even higher amongst those who are of a lower socioeconomic. And so maybe that's why 2020 we're spending less time thinking about self-improvement and perhaps a little bit more about survival. But as we've been locked up in our households, it's possible that we've given some thought as a nation to the patterns of life that we've drifted into over time. COVID has led people to stop and think about life more Generally, and more generally, to think about what matters most. And that is why the COVID cloud has a silver lining. The COVID cloud has a silver lining, and in particular, a silver lining for gospel growth. Because when our mortality is fragile, we stop and think about what really matters. And God willing, people will stop and think about the need to be reconciled with Jesus. But for those of us who already know Jesus and we already devote ourselves to hearing and obeying his word, that's kind of what we should be doing all the time anyway. (laughs) We should be stopping and thinking about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, devoting ourselves to knowing God, devoting ourselves to knowing how to live as his people. And that's what we've been doing through the letter of Ephesians. It's our 14th talk and we are now giving more and more attention to, to what our life should be like. Our life as we live as God's people. 
Two weeks ago, we heard these important words from 5, 1 to 2. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. And so now, because of what he's done for us, we now live in response to that. We act in response to God's mercy. We act in response to God's mercy. God's already loved us. Jesus has already sacrificed himself. And now everything in this second half of the letter of Ephesians is about how we live as people who are already saved. People who are already forgiven. People who are already reconciled with God. And so the things we're going to talk about today, and it's pretty practical... These are not things that will get you into heaven. They don't give you brownie points with God so that you might kind of convince him that you're a good enough person so that he'll let you into the pearly gates. doesn't work that way. These words here today will help us know how to live as people who are already part of God's family, people who are already part of the body of Christ, people who are already part of his church. They're not ways to get you into heaven, They're actually for people who are already guaranteed a spot because Jesus gave us a ticket. But now that our future is guaranteed, how should we live? Well, let's have a look. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 20, just six verses tonight. We will see how it is that we should live. And as I read these out, I want you to have a bit of a look and see if you can spot the things in particular that he wants us to look at tonight. The main things here, the main lifestyle areas that God wants us to address. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 20. The words are on the screen. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, making music to the Lord in your hearts, and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what are some of the big lifestyle things he asks us to think about changing or addressing. Yell out a few. I can think of at least two. There might be a few more as well you want to throw in. What is a couple of things? Be wise. Be wise, yes. What else? Drunkenness. Yep, that was one, wasn't it? What else? Give thanks. Give thanks. Sing songs. Sing songs. Exactly. Anything else? Yeah, that's the main lot. So let's have a look at them. That's kind of where we're going. We're going to dig into them a little bit more. They're pretty big things. There are two in particular that are really big in that list, and that is talking about getting drunk and talking about hymn singing. I don't know if they're necessarily the two lifestyle things that you'd be thinking that you'd get to in the Bible tonight, but we are. These are the things the Lord's given us by his Spirit to consider. But let's kick off with chapter 5, verse 15. It says, quite simply, be careful how you live. 
sounds like your mother, doesn't it? Be careful. Well, literally, it. Sorry, mums. Um, literally, therefore, carefully watch how you walk. We get that through Ephesians. Remember, it talks often about walk this way, walk that way, don't walk that way. Now, here it's saying, be careful how you walk. We need to walk carefully in life. I was trying to think about a time when I might walk carefully. You know what it's like when you have someone drop a glass on the tiles when you've got no shoes on? You suddenly, hey! That's kind of one thing. Or, or, or maybe the kids have left out the Lego and you're going around and you've got these Lego landmines. What is it about Lego? It's really sharp. We need to walk carefully in life. Why? Well, a few verses before, which we looked at last week, it said... Verse 10 and 11, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness, but instead expose them. And then there were the bits that we heard about in the question time about living out as light in the world. So we we need to know how God wants us to live in the world because we want to please him and because we know that he knows best. I wonder if anarchy is attractive to you at all. You know, that kind of complete lawlessness. Let your hair down. No rules. No right. No wrong. Do whatever you like. Be free. Escape life. I reckon in our dark moments, in our sinful moments, we think, wouldn't that be great? No rules. Nothing at all. And it kind of, in your dark imagination, might seem good. But then you see what it really looks like. You see what this rampant selfishness and godlessness really looks like. And you see that the weak in particular get hurt. And basically everyone gets hurt eventually. But most of all, it's God who gets hurt. He loves us. He created us. And he's hurt by this behaviour. Occasionally when we're on holidays, we will go and mine someone's house for them. You know, they'll say, hey, you can stay for free in our house if you feed the dogs and water the plants or water the dogs and feed the plants, whatever it is. And we go there and we get to spend time in their home and we're really careful to make sure we don't mess the place up because two reasons, three reasons, we we like them, we want them to like us. Uh, Two, we'd like them to ask us back. And three, we kind of want to look after their homes. We think it's not that we're going to do nice things to their house so that they might possibly let us live in it, because we already are. We do it because they've shown us kindness. Kindness by letting us stay for free. See, what we as Christians need to do, if you're a follower of Jesus already, you and I need to carefully determine what pleases the Lord. That's what it says here in verse 11. Carefully work it out. And then carefully live. Carefully determine, carefully live. And this is how it looks, verse 15b. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Or another way of saying it, don't be an idiot. It's not exactly what it says, but it uses the word fool and wise because they are key words And key concepts, key ideas right throughout the Bible. We're told pretty clearly that we should act wisely, not foolishly. Wisely, not foolishly. Did you know that there are a bunch of Bible books that just talk about being wise? And fairly unimaginatively, they're called the wisdom literature. 
And there's a bunch of books that just say wise stuff. Wise guy, huh? Over and over. And some of the stuff, like in, in Proverbs, for example... I went through Proverbs as I was preparing this, thinking, I might give you the greatest hits of Proverbs. And so I went through and I read all 31. I thought, oh, that's one that... Here about how many? One, two, a few. Here we go. Drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Why spill the water of your springs in the street, having sex with just anyone? You should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. Hmm. Proverbs 10. Lazy people are soon poor. Hard workers get rich. Proverbs 11. The Lord detests the use of dishonest scales, but he delights in accurate weights. Hmm. The godly care for their animals, but the wicked are always cruel. Hmm. Proverbs 13. Pride leads to conflict. Those who take advice are wise. Hmm. Proverbs 14. It's a sin to belittle one's neighbour. Blessed are those who help the poor. That's wise advice, isn't it? Uh, 17.9. Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. Seen that before? It's true, isn't it? Proverbs 20. Wine produces mockers. Alcohol leads to brawls. Those led astray by drink cannot be wise. Hmm. Proverbs 25, 17. Don't visit your neighbours too often or you'll wear out your welcome. That's in the Bible. <laughs> Another one, 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. That's a ripper, isn't it? I like that one. It's a whole lot of stuff like that. And if you've never really got into the book of Proverbs before, get into it. I had a mate of mine and, and he would actually... He would read each day, or maybe he did, he did for a little while just to show off, but he, he, he said, there are 31 proverbs, so work out what day of the month it is and read that one that day. Oh, that's pretty cool. I used to go around to his place and pray and read the Bible with him, and he'd say, oh, we're up to, num- what date is it? That's the 17th. Let's have a look at Proverbs 17. We'd read it out over toast and coffee. It was cool. Uh, lots of stuff like that. It's stuff about being wise. And God is saying... If you want to know how to live as someone who's in my holiday house that I'm leaning out to you, in my kingdom, part of my family, united with Christ, what do you do? Live wisely. You want to get some ideas? I've got 31 chapters full of it. Get into it. But Proverbs is always interesting because there's not a whole lot in Proverbs about how it is that you become friends with God. There's not much talk about sacrifice or temple or all that stuff from the Old Testament. It's kind of, if you got it in the New Testament, you say, well, is this really a Christian book of the Bible? I mean, it doesn't talk about those sorts of things about being friends with Jesus. But that's because it's a bit of the wisdom literature. It's all about people, it's for people who are in the kingdom, friends with Jesus, already got it, already united with Christ. And therefore it gives a whole bunch of stuff about living as God's covenant people. And so that is what we should be doing as we live as God's people, being wise, living that sort of stuff. But there's another reason. Verse 16. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Or as the more traditional translation says of this verse, redeem the time for the days are evil. I'll give you the Jody translation. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. Don't just 
Watch the clock. Turn over the calendar. Mark the anniversaries. Life is short. The days are evil. Make the most of now. So how are you making the most of your life right now for the Lord? If you're a friend of Jesus, what are you doing with yourself? How are you redeeming your life? How are you redeeming the time that would otherwise pass away like sand through the hourglass? How are you making the most of the time that the Lord's given you in this world that is passing away? Well, the answer is, if you're friends with Jesus, you need to be a full-time minister. That's what every Christian is, a full-time minister. The word minister just means a servant, that Jesus has served you by dying for you. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And so what do we do? We serve, we minister, and we do it all for the glory of God. And so whether you're a mother or a builder or a teacher or a pilot or an accountant or a retiree or a student or a nurse or a mechanic or you're resting in a nursing home, make the most of every opportunity right now in these evil days. But for just a few of us, we who are Christian ministers, which is all of us who are followers of Jesus, but a few of those ministers might end up doing ministry as a job. That's my situation. You might end up being a full-time gospel worker as you do the ministry of God's word as your employment. When people say, what do you do? You say, well, the Anglican Church pays me to tell people about Jesus. It's not for everybody. It's really only for just a few. But I think that it's something that every Christian needs to carefully consider. Consider whether you're able and whether or not you're willing to do gospel work. When I was 18, I had a moment where I knew with certainty that I wanted to be a person who told people about Jesus for a living. I wanted to be a youth minister. It was so clear. I spent so many years of my life not knowing what to do. And so I did the degree you do when you don't know what to do, an arts degree. And then having done my arts degree for a few months, I suddenly thought, I now know what I want to do. I want to tell people about Jesus for my job. I want to be just like Ken, my youth minister, and I want to have his job. That'd be really cool. Not, not literally, but like, you know, a job like him. And so I continued on as a uni student because being an arts student meant I had an awful lot of time. And so I was able to keep doing lots and lots of youth ministry in my local church. And I loved that. And I worked for a few years and then I did a two-year MTS apprenticeship at my home church. And then I did a four-year degree in divinity at Moore College. And then when I was 30, I was ordained as an Anglican minister. And now nearly 20 years I've been doing that. Love it. And I think the question is, should you consider gospel work? Many of you in situation now, well, that's in my past or it might be way in my future or whatever. But I think it's a question that all of us, as we redeem the time, think, is that you? Not only a handful of us, and I won't mention this often in my sermons, but this probably makes time make, makes sense to ask that question now. And if someone says to you, hey, I love how you're doing stuff at uni, at church, at school or whatever, telling people about Jesus. Have you thought about giving up your job and doing it full time? And if they've said that to you, then why don't you listen to them and give it a go and see? Because God has given word speakers to his church to build his church. 
But if you're not a gospel worker, then still all of us should redeem the time and work to see the gospel spread, no matter where you are and what you're doing. And you should be involved, as I am, as we all are, hopefully, in giving money so that gospel work will happen, so that others will hear about the amazing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whatever it is, as we seek to act wisely and to make the most of every opportunity, we should also do this. Verse 17. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Uh, Literally, it says, don't act foolishly. And it says, think about the will of the Lord. Think about what what the Lord wants you to do. Think about the will of the Lord. How do you know what God wants you to do in the future? How do you know the will of the Lord? In some ways, it's really simple. God speaks to us right now by his Holy Spirit in the Bible. And therefore, we can know what God's saying. We can know what God's thinking because he's told us. That's pretty simple. He's given us clear guidance about the future. And we've heard that already in Proverbs. And we've heard it in the very practical words from Ephesians that we've been looking at. So, you know, the last couple of weeks, what did we learn? Here's some guidance from the Lord for you right now. This is a message for you in this spot right here. Don't lie. Don't steal. Be generous. Don't swear. Be encouraging. Don't be full of rage. Be kind. Be forgiving. Be loving. Don't be greedy. Don't be sexually immoral and so on. You want some guidance from the Lord? I've just gave, given you a truckload of it right there. That is the Lord speaking to you right now. That's the will of God for your life. And so if you're thinking of doing something and says, well, I'm thinking of doing a job which involves me lying, stealing, swearing, um, sexually immoral, I, I, should, the, should you do that job? I think that's a big no. Yeah, find another job. But what about other things? Maybe jobs don't require you to be a criminal. Well, what about this question? What apprenticeship should I do? Which job should I do? Should I marry the person that I'm currently dating? How many children should I have? Should I buy a property? And if so, what and where? Which church should I go to? Who should I vote for? When should I retire? And what should I do when I retire? Any of those questions ever passed your mind at all? And so what has the Lord told you? Well, you can't really open up the Bible and find answers to all those things. You know, you won't open the Bible and read the name of the person you should marry. Unless maybe they're Matthew, Mark, Luke or John. Yeah, off we go. You won't read in the Bible whether you should vote Liberal or Labour. You won't read in the Bible whether you should be a barrister or a barista. You just need to pray for God's wisdom and then kind of do something. Go for your gut feel, perhaps. I mean, God works through our guts. He opens and closes doors. He works sovereignly through his world so that everything happens according to his good and perfect will. And in a way, that's a little bit unsatisfying. But in the end, pray about it and then think, hmm, any, many, miny, uh, that one. 
And it and God will work sovereignly through your decision. However, don't elevate that holy hunch into the same class as holy scripture. Because a holy hunch, if you want to call it that, is not a word from the Lord. If you walk into the um, the voting booth, the poll booth, and you say, who will I vote for? Uh, okay, I'll vote for them. Tick. Has the Lord sovereignly told you you must vote candidate A versus candidate B? Well, I didn't hear him. What is his voice like? Which verse from the Bible? Well, you've ticked the box because you've just scribbled on it. So that's the way that the Lord has worked. As someone said to me once, or said in a talk once, she said, you know that you've married the right person because you wake up on your honeymoon lying next to them. There you go. Is that satisfying? It'd be handy if you could take a photo of that and rewind, but... God's hand is in all these different things. And so at the end of the day, pray for wisdom and go for it. But next, there's one specific area of wisdom that the Apostle Paul does spell out, which is almost weird that he talk about this. Because he says in verse 18a, don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Hmm. Don't act foolishly, thoughtlessly, and don't get drunk with wine. That's not saying don't drink any alcohol. It's saying don't get drunk. Don't drink to excess. Don't get drunk. So it's okay to drink alcohol if you're legally allowed to do so. I mean, Jesus turned water into wine. It was really, really good wine, and he did it after they'd been partying for a while. And Paul even tells Titus to have a little wine to help him with his stomach illness. It's not alcohol that's forbidden. It's alcohol abuse that's the key thing here. It's drinking that becomes drunkenness. You don't have to drink to have a good time, and it's fine not to drink. But we're not reading here that you must never drink. And it's interesting to see the context of this word against drinking alcohol to excess. I'm thinking, why is it said right here? Well, what have they just talked about? He's just said, don't waste your life. Redeem the time. Make the most of opportunities. But I reckon that when we drink to excess, when someone drinks to excess, it stops the clock. It writes off a few hours. It says... Life's meh. I'm just going to have a few drinks and I'm going to get drunk, someone might say, and that way I can get out of time rather than redeeming the time. But the Lord says we need to be in the moment. We need to be active in redeeming the time. And that is one of the reasons why drunkenness is wrong in God's sight. It is not Christian to want to drink to forget. It's not Christian to want to escape our life. Christians should not drink to escape life. Even if life is very hard, God has not said, hey, why don't you have a six-pack? Hey, why don't you have a bottle or two of wine? You know, why don't you slam? No. Don't drink to escape. But it also says that drunkenness will ruin your life. Or another translation says it is debauchery. Very true. I've personally been touched by alcoholism in my immediate family and it has ruined my family. I know how alcoholism ruins lives. But I also know that it can be managed. 
If you have a strong urge to drink, if you cannot control how much you drink, if you feel physical effects when you stop after a period of heavy drinking, or if you drink early in the day, or if you forget what happened when you were drinking, then you have signs of harmful alcohol use. And if that is you, if this has resonated with you, then stop. Deal with your addiction. It's not going to be easy, but it's necessary, the Lord says. And if that is you, why don't you have a little word to me privately at some time? And I'd love to give you some advice and to maybe even encourage you and hold you accountable and say, how's that going? How's that going? And if that's the case, you may need to completely abstain from alcohol. Never have a drink again. And we, as a church community, need to be the kind of place where someone can say, oh, I'm fine, thanks, and not want to have a drink or say that they can't have a drink. And we don't say, oh, come on, just have one. Really? We need to not be that place. And we need to be really wise. We need to be loving enough to make it possible for a person to fully engage in our church life without feeling the need to drink alcohol. And we need to make sure we look out for each other so that we don't become drunk with wine, as this verse tells us. When you're dealing with addiction, it's hard if you're told, just don't, just don't, just don't. But a good alternative is to say, actually, I'm going to give you something better that will overshadow that desire for that other thing. And that's exactly what we get here. It says, instead, instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. 18b, be filled with the Holy Spirit. In English, we can say, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. You can't say, ha, 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 ha. Uh, in the original language, it wasn't there because spirit didn't have the double meaning of an alcoholic beverage and the Holy Spirit. But we've got it in English, so yeah, fair enough. Don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, which is what happens when we first follow Jesus. But we, in fact, continue to be filled with the Spirit as we, as we, we, we hear the Word of God, as the Bible is taught to us. We need to continue to be filled with the Spirit. And as we're filled with the Spirit, it's actually going to, God willing, push out that desire to be drunk. Right now, we are being filled by the Spirit as we hear the Bible taught. And this is filling the spot that others try to fill with grog. We're being filled with hope, not beer. We're being filled with the Spirit's comfort, not Southern comfort. But there's another way to be filled with the Spirit. Verse 19. Singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs amongst yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. So why do we love to sing? Why is it good to sing? Why do we find it so hard when the government tells us we can't? For a good reason. Hopefully not much longer. Why is it important? Well, this song says that we are filled by the Spirit as we sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. I'm not sure what a psalm or a hymn or a spiritual song, but whatever it is, it's Christian song stuff, right? I don't think one means guitar, one means organ, but no, not like that. But they are songs that we're told to speak to one another, to use words to one another. There's a sort of a horizontal aspect to singing. 
we don't just sing on our own. We don't just sing to God. We actually sing to each other. We sing to each other. And that's why so many of our songs are words that we say to one another. They're more like words of encouragement that remind each other about the wonderful truths of God. What about this one? For the Lord is good and faithful. He will keep us day and night. We can always run to Jesus. Jesus strong and kind. That's a good thing to tell each other, isn't it? He will keep us day and night. That's why we want to sing that to each other as a cheer. Or, or this other one we, we launched and learned for the first time last week. Come see the cross where love and mercy meet as the Son of God is stricken. Then see his foes lie crushed beneath his feet, for the conqueror has risen. Oh, they're awesome words. Uh, we, we sing words of meaning because we encourage each other with those things. It's actually a spiritual thing. When we're feeling like we want to run away to a bottle of wine, we sing a song and we listen to each other. But what's more, that means we need to sing good songs, don't we? Songs that actually teach us stuff. Because if we sing the wrong things, they'll get confusing and we won't really be encouraged. And we also, this is a bit controversial, we don't want to have songs that just talk about how we feel. Now, it's not bad to have songs that talk about how we feel. I think it's, there's a place for that. But if all the songs are basically, Lord, you make me feel good, or I feel really nice, or I feel really good, or you know, they're much more sophisticated than that. But if our songs are pretty much just repurposed love songs, you know, God, my heart beats for you, something like that, that's not really necessarily an encouraging thing to each other. It's kind of a weird thing to come into a room when you've got all these people singing these sort of soppy songs to God. The Psalms sometimes speak a bit that way, and that's okay. But you see, whatever it is we do, we've got to make sure that we're teaching one another as we sing. But there is also a vertical component to our singing, We do make music to the Lord. We make a melody to the Lord in our hearts, in his presence together. And so it's still to God as well, but it's not just to God. It's not like we could sort of go into a room and put headphones on, like one of those silent discos, and just have our own little space between us and God. We actually want to be able to hear each other. We want to be able to do it together. So sometimes there's a place for us to maybe shut our eyes and, and sing to God, hands up if you like. But not for every song, not all the time. See, we want to be people who listen to the singing and get encouraged by that. And so there's a horizontal aspect to our singing and a vertical aspect to our singing. But ultimately, when we sing, we serve up something for each other that's better than any bottle of wine. But there's one more thing, and that's in verse 20. We finish with this. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thankfulness goes along with the singing. And thankfulness fills us with the Spirit. Thankfulness fills us with the Spirit. Uh, Just for the language nerds, the way that this verse works in the original... You can tune out for the next 30 seconds if this bores you, but it's a little bit interesting, I think. In the original language... The main verb in this section is be filled with the Spirit. 
and then off it, I told you I'd be nerdy, right, are four Greek participles, inwards. And those four inwards actually tell you how it is that you go about being filled with the Spirit. I'm being very nerdy, but hang with me on this. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking, singing, being thankful, and submitting. There's four different things that hang off it. It's pretty nerdy, hey? But they show you the ways in which we can be filled with the Spirit, which is what you do instead of being filled with wine. It's sort of the structure of it. It's a bit nerdy, isn't it? And one of those is thankfulness, being thankful. Singing, speaking, being thankful. The fourth one is submitting, which is a big chunk that we're going to get to next week. Don't miss out on that. But you see this? Thankfulness fills us with the Spirit. We saw it back in verse 4. But can you see that? When you are thankful, you're saying that the Lord has provided He's given every good thing to you. And when you acknowledge that, that is a work of the Spirit. And you want to redeem the time? Don't get drunk. Get into the Spirit. And what does it mean to get into the Spirit? Sing songs to God and to each other and be thankful. And finally, we see that thankfulness is actually a Trinitarian event. That's pretty nerdy as well. But be filled with the Holy Spirit, giving thanks to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're all three there. Isn't that cool? Well, to sum up, 2020 is a year in which we're thinking less about thriving and more about surviving. A year of global disruption, which is leading us all to stop and think about what really matters. But for those of us who are united with Christ, it's just another moment that will encourage us to live in a way that's consistent with the grace that we've received in Christ. And it will help us to make sure that we make the most of this moment. This moment, 2020. This is not a year for us to just say, what a horrible year. Let's take it out of our calendar. Let's wipe it from our phones. Let's destroy all evidence of 2020 because it's a horrible year. That's not what God's telling us to do. Saying, make the most of every moment. Make the the most of 2020. And so rather than running to the bottle... Sing to each other and to God and be thankful as we await the return of Jesus in these last days. Let me pray. Gracious, loving Father, we are so thankful to you for your love. We are so thankful to you for every mercy. We're so thankful to you for loving us through the death of Jesus. And we're so thankful for everything you give us. We're even thankful for the hard times as they lead us to reflect upon you. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would keep filling us by your spirit so that we might be people who are thankful, who submit, who sing to each other and to you. And for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Jamboree Anglican Church. For more information, head to jamborooanglican.com.